thank you for joining Anchored in Truth, a podcast about how the gospel and life collide. My name is Jonathan Lee. Today, I'm here with Aaron Newcomb, who leads and directs a ministry called Engadi Refuge, which is for women who've been trafficked. Not only is this a topic that I think needs to be discussed more within the Christian circle, but even just the need to be aware of human life, the Imago Day. So here's the interview that I got to have with Aaron Newcomb. All right. Well, I'm here with Aaron Newcomb with Engedi Refuge Ministry. And uh, at Rome Community Bible Church, we have an opportunity to come alongside and support. And I'm thankful that for Aaron, for your time and to be able to um, talk a little bit about what Engedi Refuge is. And as well as I know just for me personally, kind of how God called you into this position. So if you wouldn't mind, we have some that are familiar with what, what Engedi is and others that probably don't know. So you're going to have to kind of do the, the broad stroke there, but tell us a little bit about what it is and also how God led you and your wife to be in this position. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to do that. And I really want to start with just saying thank you Rome Community Bible Church. You guys have been a wonderful support. My wife Leah and I have had a chance to meet many of you over the years, and, and you've been with us and alongside us, supporting us and encouraging us and praying for us for a number of years, and we really, really appreciate that. It's been amazing for us, having moved from the Midwest to Washington State, to find a spiritual home, um, both with, you know just in the local church uh, for our own fellowship needs, but also in the greater um, church in the, in the county as uh, people that are very interested in what God is doing and supporting the work that is redemptive for people that are hurting. And that's what we came here to do. So um, I, I guess the short story is that, um, you know, we lived in the, in the Midwest. My wife and I uh, married and raised our four children in Oklahoma. And in uh, 2007, um, I was uh, minding my own business. I, I had a construction company. My wife had a job and our kids were you know, moving into their college years. And we found out about sex trafficking. We never knew what that was. And, and the Lord really captured our attention for the suffering that was under our nose uh, in just un- unveiling for us, kind of feeling the skin of the onion off of this social injustice that is just replete in our world and is flourishing within the United States, which was a total shock to us. That, um, that that human trafficking was happening and specifically sexual trafficking was happening. And it looks like a lot of different things, um, but uh, it was right under our nose. It was part of, you know, the fabric of our society. And that was very unnerving. So as we went to the Lord with this and said, my goodness, how, how do we respond now knowing that this, this dark thing is happening to vulnerable people, vulnerable people right in our own society. And the Lord was really, um, uh, pointed with us. He was encouraging us and opening our eyes to what his expectations are um, for for Christians, or at least specifically for us, to jump in and get involved. And he used the word of God, and, you know, Luke 10, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, which I'd read many times, um, became pivotal for us to understand God's perspective, specifically Jesus's perspective of what it means to love your neighbor. So mm-hmm. it's like the whole story painted a picture that is not just like, hey, knock on the door of the guy next door and, you know, and offer him a plate of cookies and, you know, you know, watch his dog when he goes on vacation. I mean, that could be that could be love. But with the 
picture that Jesus painted was when you're walking down the road and you see somebody beaten half to death, help them out. And you're like, wow, I, you know, I don't even walk. I don't want to walk down that road. Like, <laughs> I, that's a problem. I, I'm kind of afraid to get engaged in. But what yeah. we saw with sex trafficking, human trafficking, kind of the larger picture was exactly that. In fact, in fact, the women kind of fit that description of what Jesus was describing in that parable uh, and saying, uh, you know, they, they have been physically um, abused to a, a phenomenal degree. They have been mentally abused and, and rejected and abandoned um, beside the road of society. And, and myself is sort of identifying as a Christian and a, and a, uh, a person that's trying to walk with God and with a clear conscience and, you know, participating in society and loving my neighbor. And the Lord was like, you can't ignore this. I mean, now that you know, you can't just walk away. Yeah. So um, that opened up a whole host of questions like how, like how would I, how would I fix that? And of course, the parable itself gives us a lot of clues. The Lord said that the, the Samaritan is the one that uh, bandaged his wounds, uh, numbed his pain, put him on his own donkey, took him to a safe place, mm-hmm. and paid for his care until he could be healed uh, from his own pocket. So that kind of gave us this, this parameter, this outline of what that would look like, mm-hmm. like responding to someone's desperate need, someone who's not my physical neighbor, I don't run into them at Safeway. I, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to bump into them at the PTA meeting or at church. Someone who is maybe a mile from our house or so that is suffering dramatically and somehow jumping into the fray of someone's pain Hmm. and coming up with an answer to find a place, to find a way to, and a place to, to let them be safe, to feel the love and the nurture of God and to recover from physical and emotional wounding. Yeah. Um, we had to start putting our mind and our heart to that and then and then commit to it. Uh, and that's just kind of way outside the box. You know, most of us go to church for, uh, you know, a, a lot of us come to Christ as children and we go to church our whole lives. And, and you know, it's like, if you want to get involved in ministry, well, you know, teach Bible class or join the worship team or join the prayer team or go on a short-term mission trip trip to Mexico, it doesn't look like changing your whole life plan to, to jump into the world of prostitution and sex trafficking. It's like otherworldly. Yeah. But for us, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is what it means for you right now. Mm. So anyway, that's kind of how, you know, we got involved. It's just, it's just seeing the problem, yeah. listening to the Lord, considering the complexity of the answer. And then it took years of, uh, of figuring out what what that actually what needed to happen, how we were going to do that, and then committing to that solution. And that actually led us um, to British Columbia, Canada, for a season to serve another ministry, which led us uh, through a network of relationships to uh, Whatcom County, and and then the, the Lord began to open doors of relationship and property and um, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that were interested and invested in the, the vision that we had and so we were actually able to kind of put all those pieces of the puzzle together mm-hmm. to come up with a kind of a comprehensive answer which was just necessary but it was like we need we need housing like we're going to open up shop if we're going to say we, we want to minister to prostitute women 
or sex trafficked women, women who've been who've been um, used as sex slaves, literally uh, in gangs and in in the criminal element within uh, uh, large cities and small town America. Um, we, as we understood, the same kind of uh, flourishing. We'd have to somehow engage them, but there has to be a physical place for them to come uh, to be to be physically safe. And then there has to be a way to nurture them uh, emotionally and socially and spiritually to the point where uh, they feel safe within their own skin and within their their context, and then provide some kind of hope. Like there's there's a step out of this care package into society, and that means what is it going to take to uh, prepare yourself mentally, socially, like going back to school, getting a GED, going into you know higher education. Uh, vocational training, and there's going to be uh, jobs, and there's going to be a need for your own housing, and then to engage other relationships, and to do it without all the tools and the trappings that you came from, where you're being like criminally abused by criminal elements, uh, where you're you're numbing your pain with you know uh, drugs and alcohol to try to emotionally survive. We've got to provide for them hmm. some hope, some structure around that in the beginning, and some hope to do it differently. So there's going to have to be a lot of counseling, mentoring, and teaching in that process. So we yeah. started to, mm. to put those pieces together and God provided all the way along a house that would save a, uh, a learning center slash counseling center, uh, you know, a con- physical context and space for that to happen. And then people with expertise to jump into that uh, need and that responsibility. And, and it's been amazing. So we were able to open in March of 2013. So here in a couple wow. of months, it'll be 10 years that we've been open. We've seen so many ladies, almost 90 ladies come through our long-term program. Okay. Um, we, we never envisioned this as a quick fix, like, hey, you know what, you know, we didn't want to set up shop as a, as a drop-in center in a downtown area. That's yeah. one answer. Um, it's actually just a part of the bigger answer. That wasn't really what we were called to. We were like, uh, we were have been and are very interested in in long term mm-hmm. um, spirit, emotional nurturing, physical safety, and spiritual care. So um, it is a, is is a kind of an in depth Christian ministry to ladies that have come from from this place. And we have, I mean, the Lord has allowed us to be successful in that. Many women have come. Yeah, and we've had an amazing amount of um, uh, good effect in their lives, positive yeah. ministry, uh, to see their lives change, perspectives change, and then to move into a future free from crime and abuse. And it's been really beautiful to be a part of. Yeah. Well, I think um, uh, my my wife and I were able to go be part of the gala for Engedi. So that's where we got a lot of our personal information with you sharing. Um, and I think what was the realization that you think of human trafficking or sex trafficking as like the person kidnapped and brought into the slave trade. But in fact, it's more manipulation and promises. And that's one thing that was eye-opening to us that it's not just like, oh, they're taking the kids off the street to put them in this. There's this development and manipulation that takes place and almost that causes them where they're in this, this mental stress, uh, um, where they're trapped mentally thinking like, this is it. And so, and that, I think that, I don't know if, uh, what the statistics are, you may know, but just that blew our minds. Like, oh my goodness, this is crazier than you think of just a snatch and grab kind of thing. Very much. Um, 
And people get that idea that's kind of fed by the media. Hollywood uh-huh. puts up on that narrative and likes to sell that story because it creates a, a wonderful villain and savior storyline, which is the story of most stories. And so, um, you know, you get Liam Neeson in that movie Taken, uh-huh. and, you know, he's the dad that we all want to be. Ex-CIA, he's got special skills. He can go kill people when he wants to. So he goes and rescues his daughter who was, you know, uh, yeah. you know kidnapped. Um, but that is a very, very small percentage of, of actual sex trafficking that happens. Most of it, um, they, most of the time, they, they are uh, trafficked by someone they know. So um, it's often a relative hmm. or it's someone that they think that they can trust, um, um, a lover, boyfriend, uh, or uh, another friend. Sometimes the people, there's kind of a network of people or traffickers will send out a scout, which may be, and often is a woman who just kind of hmm. testing the water, kind of connecting with, with girls and women that are vulnerable for a variety of reasons. They can be vulnerable because um, they're maybe um, an illegal immigrant and they don't have the proper documentation, which makes them totally afraid of engaging uh, law enforcement or social services. Um, so when they come up with a need, um, they're, they're not going to go through the regular channels. Somebody can befriend them. It could be their age uh, and innocence in a sense. It could be that they have a drug addiction and so they're they're, um, they're chemically dependent and, and economically desperate, um, and you can exploit that. So they take a lot of different things, and especially anyone who is isolated, lonely, just kind of disconnected from family or friends or just feeling down and, and, and isolated emotionally, even if they're like in a normal family scenario, all of those and many others are, are common vulnerabilities that someone who's looking to exploit them and commodify their body hmm. will use to get them to capitulate, get them to agree to some sort of scenario. And sometimes they don't, they're not, most of the time they're not agreeing to, they don't go up to them and say, hey, you look poor, would you like to try prostitution? I mean, that's not the way it goes down. They say, hmm, you look needy, like you need a friend and you need a place to stay. And maybe you need a bag of drugs, you know, come with me and I'll, I'll provide for you. Mm-hmm. And, and then somewhere down the road, um, it depends on the story. So everyone that comes to Engetti has a, has a story, but sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's six months down the road where that person or group of people will then turn that vulnerability and the, the, the need that they've been meeting and they'll, they'll do a bait and switch and they'll say, okay, now we're going to turn you out because you owe us money. Like, we've been nice to you. We've shown you love. We've, we've probably spent a few hundred or a few thousand dollars on you. Now you owe us, and uh, this is how you're gonna. This is how you're gonna make money. And that and those vulnerable women will try hard to pay that debt or to please that person, or to um, you know just try to survive that situation. And that goes on for everybody's story is a little bit different. It could go on for years. It could go on for a few months. But um, it is an extremely traumatizing situation. In fact, psychologists would um, do the label that um, that kind of trauma where you're you're kind of psychologically trapped and you may even be physically trapped, but usually it's a psychological trap and you are um, uh, surrendering to a great deal of degradation and pain. Hmm. And 
and a lot of social emotional put down and insult in the midst of that pain is as worse than a prisoner of war being captured and tortured. Hmm. Wow. Um, it is it is worse than that in terms of its psychological damage. Yeah. And that is happening by the hundreds of thousands just within the United States and by the millions worldwide. Wow. Because there has been a turn in our social conscience. Um, and you can track it by a lot of different things, but there's been a turn to where um, sex and relationships is commodified. Prostitution has been around forever. I mean, it's not like it didn't take hundreds of years to figure this out. I'm sure that, um, you know, before the flood, this was probably figured out in mass. But it hasn't stopped. And it's, it's, it's a popular idea where, like, this is something men are driven to want. And we can physically or psychologically control women to provide this thing. And we can make a lot of money. Uh, that's getting worse. Yeah. Wow. And it's, I think the awareness, like you hear about it, like you said, the media portrays it, but like to the, the extent, um, and I know you kind of mentioned that through like major highways, you could kind of see where the ups and flows of it go. And just uh, here in Whatcom County, like right under our own nose, like we're not um, away from it. It's right there. And um, so I, I guess my, my thought would be like, how, how do you encourage or what would you say to the Christian, to the church even, on how not to be apathetic to this? Because you mentioned one thing is uh, for you and your wife, you heard the news and you're like, we can't ignore this. Um, the, good, the, the Good Samaritan couldn't ignore the person on the ground that was beaten up. And we live in such a day and age where media just infiltrates us with one news story after another. And you hear one hard thing, then you move on to the next thing. And it's almost like we think life that way. And it's like, how do we guard against being apathetic to this? Uh, and I, and like you mentioned, the love towards our neighbor, uh, I would say this is a neighbor that we're called to be loving to. So what would you say to the church and kind of what worked for you? It's like, man, I can't ignore this. And granted, maybe not everyone's called to organize and lead a, 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 a place like you are and your wife are doing, but how can a Christian general be aware and not be apathetic? That is a great question, Jonathan. I I think that's something that as Christians, we always have to keep um, on the front, on the forefront of our mind because of the exhortations within the New Testament, just in the New Testament alone, but there's really all through scripture. Uh, the Lord does not want us to fall into apathy. And sometimes being inundated with uh, bad news makes us feel apathetic mm. because it's, it's, I can't solve yesterday's problem because today i'm getting a fresh dump load of problem and i i can't i can't even keep up with it so it's, a, it's an emotional feeling of being overwhelmed mm -hmm. which i feel a lot i think the grace that we received was the specificity of this mission and it's just like we came from a church where there was lots of missionaries and there was always something really really important happening in the United States or around the world that seem like and God is, is doing something here and we should be caring about this and we should, you know, and I was like, yeah, it's all good. I don't have enough money to go around and I don't have enough time to, to serve or to pray even for all of these things. This was the one thing God said this. And um, I think whatever it is, we have to be listening closely enough 
picked up to the Lord. But when, whenever he says, this is the person, or this is the situation, I want you to respond to that. We're ready to respond to that. So, um, you know, it, it, the, the big picture is what, what, what Luke said in his gospel that Jesus said about his engagement with Zacchaeus, uh, which was a scandalous thing, right? Like, what are you doing having dinner with this guy? He has ripped everybody off in the community. And Jesus said, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. And mm-hmm. we have to understand that whoever we're rubbing shoulders with, it could be a rich, selfish, greedy guy. It could be someone who is being beaten up beside the road. Mm. But God's heart is to seek and to save the lost. And so there is, when we seek, that means we are actually proactive in throwing ourselves into a situation that we would otherwise avoid. Um, so, you know, the people that um, were like a re- religiously astute for Jesus were like, we were to avoid going to a tax collector's house. That is morally complex and probably you know you're you're not going to get out of there without getting dirty and jesus is like i came to seek the guy that's dirty and it's going to make me feel like i need a bath and that's where he went and it's the same thing when you touch a hurting person um you know the the religious in in the the story of the good samaritan they want to walk by they're like i got no time for that kind of pain and jesus was like pay attention to the samaritan because he stopped his agenda to help this hurting person and that's what the lord was just you know superimposing onto us. So as a church, um, small picture or big picture, we've got to always realize that. And then we've got to take some things that are, um, there's an exhortation in, in Psalm 82, which I find fascinating because we can, we can kind of spiritualize it and go, well, you know, that, that's, uh, that's kind of a nice prayer or it, it means something big picture. It doesn't really have any real tangible meaning for my life. And I found that the Holy Spirit has started to narrow hmm. the application of scripture for me. He's like, hey, pay attention to some of these things. These exhortations are not just kind of easy spiritualism. It is, it is a real word from God, at least for us in certain circumstances. So like um, Psalm 82, 4 says, rescue the poor and helpless, deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Hmm. And I'm like, wow. When you actually put um, uh, flesh on that, uh, I get it. It's like we've got to somehow in our ministry, wherever that is and however that happens, and, and even within the context of the church, is have on our radar uh, those that are poor and helpless, mm-hmm. that disempowered in some way, and rescue them or deliver them from the hands of evil people. There are people with very evil intent. And mm-hmm. prostitution and sex trafficking is replete with greed and abuse on an astounding scale. And we have to find a way to pull, to deliver someone or pull them out of that danger. And that means providing something, an alternative to that danger. Yeah, That's going to be complex and expensive. But I think that at least, you know, for me, and I think as we walk with the Lord, we ask the Lord, what is the specific thing for me? Um, and that's helpful. And, and it ties in with like James chapter two, you know, faith about works is dead. We, it's not enough for us to just read our Bible and go, hey, it's really cool spiritual platitudes. And I sort of understand these things, but I'm not doing these things. Yeah. We've got to be asking the Lord, how do I actually do 
that thing in the word today, especially as it relates to other people. That's good. And well, even in James, and that it leads leads to like not showing partiality too. In that same section, like what do we guard against, and how do we uh, know what that looks like? And that kind of goes along as we love God, we love our neighbor. Uh, Jesus said those are the greatest commandments, summarizing of the law. And so I think that's huge, um, uh, and just a really good push for us. I mean, I, like I said, not everyone's going to be um, willing to go and start a ministry but we could be mindful. I think that's where, you, like you said, to be mindful of. Well, um, before we close with this part, tell us how can we be praying for you? Yeah, we really have your prayers. <laughs> um, we, we feel the prayer when somebody is lifting us up to the Father and hearing God's voice on our behalf, we sense it. We often have days where we're walking into something where we don't have the answer. There's somebody's emotionally. Today was an example. There was, um, well, today was an example. I mean, I, I got here and I'm, I'm preparing to teach a Bible class at our ministry to formerly sex trafficked women. One of them is having an emotional meltdown. I mean, screaming at another staff member, not me, <laughs> but outside my office. And she is extremely upset. Yesterday, she was fine. Hmm. Morning, something had gotten under her skin and completely disrupted her sense of internal safety. And so every day is sort of like that with somebody, almost every day. Wow. Somebody is, is at the end of their wits. And then we are, we have the tools and we've figured out how to kind of de-escalate feelings and um you know serve them in a way that helps them calm down and receive some grace um but we also know that we need the lord i mean it's it's not just like coming to the office and doing some accounting we have to do accounting too but there's a lot more super um, um heightened emotional need and mm. spirit so I go into my class today and this lady had to go to my class <laughs> and I had to just kind of ask her, I say, are you okay? I mean, I know you're really upset about something, but are you able? So yeah, I think I can, I think I can handle it. Well, someone else came into class and she had um, literally felt um, like she, there was some sort of, I don't know, demonic presence on her all night. So she didn't sleep well. Mm. She's showing up and she doesn't even understand that. She's just like, I feel like I'm being kind of spiritually oppressed and we just kind of take it for granted. Like, I'm sure you are like you're getting over a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I started the class, like I had this whole curriculum and I had to start with, with just sort of changing it all up and going, you know what? There's a lot of stuff coming against you because something, someone does not want you to hear the word of God this morning. Yeah. Huh. And I was sharing, you know, I was teaching out of Genesis this morning, a very important story. It ended up being very impactful for, for the ladies in my class. But the ladies that came, they were under some kind of strange attack. And you can over-spiritualize that, and you can under-spiritualize that, but whatever, it's difficult for them to receive. So the prayer that we need is that we are walking in the Spirit and are attuned to the Lord so that we can respond uh, appropriately on every level and still um, successfully sort of 
deliver what the Lord wants to deliver. It, it can be very simple, very practical, very physical things, or it can be very spiritual things, or it can be knowledge things. But we, it, it's not just the material. Mm-hmm. It's it's all of the pressure that goes around it, and it's how they're able to receive or not receive. Mm-hmm. So we need grace to be walking in the Spirit, and they need grace because there's pressures and things coming up within their psyche, within their spirit, um, um, that are sometimes very, very negative and, 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 and debilitating. So I would want the church to know, hey, when you pray for us, just ask the Lord to give you some imagination. That this isn't an easy day. Yeah. <laughs> Another day in Getty Refuge, we're dealing with some serious stuff, and we need wisdom and knowledge and peace in the Lord. We need his word. We need his presence. Um, and, and we don't take that for granted. There's lots of challenges probably on a daily basis. We see challenges that are pretty significant. But we also, in the long run, we see a lot of breakthrough. Yeah, good. So it's persevering in our effort, but carried on the grace of God that comes, I think, through prayer. So the church has a wonderful opportunity uh, to just be ministering grace from that place of faith. Like I'm just going to pray in faith for Aaron and Leah and their leadership or their whole staff team for all the ladies that are there trying to get help. They're dealing with lots of problems. Yeah. Good. Well, definitely we'll be praying for you guys and we're appreciative of what you do uh, as the Lord called you and you endure. Thank you so much for listening to Anchored in Truth. Again, my name is Jonathan Lee. You can find out more information about me. Go to pastorjohnlee.com. That is with no H, J-O-N-L-E dot com.